Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Ezekiel chapters 4 through 7 from the World English Bible. You also, son of man, take a tile and lay it before yourself, and portray on it a city, even Jerusalem. Lay siege against it, build forts against it, and cast up a mound against it. Also, set camps against it, and plant battering rams against it all around. Take for yourself an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between you and the city. Then set your face toward it. It will be besieged, and you shall lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. Moreover, lie on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel on it. According to the number of the days that you shall lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have appointed the years of their iniquity to be to you a number of days, even three hundred ninety days, so you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. Again, when you have accomplished these, you shall lie on your right side and shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. I have appointed forty days, each day for a year to you. You shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, with your arm uncovered, and you shall prophesy against it. Behold, I put ropes on you, and you shall not turn yourself from one side to the other, until you have accomplished the days of your siege. Take for yourself also wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt, and put them in one vessel. Make bread of it, according to the number of the days that you will lie on your side, even three hundred ninety days you shall eat of it. Your food, which you shall eat, shall be by weight twenty shekels a day. From time to time you shall eat it. You shall drink water by measure the sixth part of a hin. From time to time you shall drink. You shall eat it as barley cakes, and you shall bake it in their sight with dung that comes out of man. Yahweh said, Even thus will the children of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, Ah, Lord Yahweh, behold, my soul has not been polluted. For from my youth up even until now I have not eaten of that which dies of itself or is torn of animals. No abominable meat has come into my mouth. Then he said to me, Behold, I have given you cow's dung for man's dung, and you shall prepare your bread on it. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem. They will eat bread by weight and with fearfulness. They will drink water by measure and in dismay, that they may lack bread and water, be dismayed one with another, and pine away in their iniquity. You, son of man, Take a sharp sword, you shall take it as a barber's razor to yourself, and shall cause it to pass over your head and over your beard. Then take balances to weigh and divide the hair. 
A third part you shall burn in the fire in the middle of the city, when the days of the siege are fulfilled. You shall take a third part and strike with the sword around it. A third part you shall scatter to the wind, and I will draw out a sword after them. You shall take of it a few in number and bind them in the folds of your robe. Of these again you shall take and cast them into the middle of the fire and burn them in the fire. From it a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. The Lord Yahweh says, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the middle of the nations, and countries are around her. She has rebelled against my ordinances in doing wickedness more than the nations, and against my statutes more than the countries that are around her. For they have rejected my ordinances, and as for my statutes, they have not walked in them. Therefore the Lord Yahweh says, Because you are more turbulent than the nations that are around you, and have not walked in my statutes, neither have kept my ordinances, neither have followed the ordinances of the nations that are around you. Therefore the Lord Yahweh says, Behold, I, even I, am against you, and I will execute judgments among you in the sight of the nations. I will do in you that which I have not done, and which I will not do anything like it any more, because of all your abominations. Therefore the fathers will eat the sons within you, and the sons will eat their fathers. I will execute judgments on you, and I will scatter the whole remnant of you to all the winds. Therefore as I live, says the Lord Yahweh, surely, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will also diminish you. My eye won't spare, and I will have no pity. A third part of you will die with the pestilence, and they will be consumed with famine within you. A third part will fall by the sword around you. A third part I will scatter to all the winds, and will draw out a sword after them. Thus my anger will be accomplished, and I will cause my wrath toward them to rest, and I will be comforted. They will know that I, Yahweh, have spoken in my zeal, when I have accomplished my wrath on them. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and a reproach among the nations that are around you, in the sight of all that pass by. So it will be a reproach and a taunt and instruction and an astonishment to the nations that are around you, when I execute judgments on you in anger and in wrath and in wrathful rebukes. I, Yahweh, have spoken it, when I send on them the evil arrows of famine that are for destruction, which I will send to destroy you. I will increase the famine on you and will break your staff of bread. I will send on you famine and evil animals, and they will bereave you. Pestilence and blood will pass through you. I will bring the sword on you. I, Yahweh, have spoken it. Yahweh's word came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel, and prophesy to them, and say, You mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh says to the mountains, and to the hills, to the watercourses, and to the valleys, Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword on you and I will destroy your high places. Your altars will become desolate, and your incense altars will be broken. I will cast down your slain men before your idols. 
I will lay the dead bodies of the children of Israel before their idols. I will scatter your bones around your altars. In all your dwelling places, the cities will be laid waste, and the high places will be desolate, that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, and your idols may be broken and cease, and your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. The slain will fall among you, and you will know that I am Yahweh. Yet I will leave a remnant, in that you will have some that escape the sword among the nations, when you are scattered through the countries. Those of you that escape will remember me among the nations, where they are carried captive. How I have been broken with their lewd heart, which has departed from me, and with their eyes which play the prostitute after their idols. Then they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. They will know that I am Yahweh. I have not said in vain that I would do this evil to them. The Lord Yahweh says, Strike with your hand, and stamp with your foot, and say, Alas, because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they will fall by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. He who is far off will die of the pestilence. He who is near will fall by the sword. He who remains and is besieged will die by the famine. Thus I will accomplish my wrath on them. You will know that I am Yahweh when their slain men are among their idols around their altars, on every high hill, on all the tops of the mountains, under every green tree, and under every thick oak, the places where they offered pleasant aroma to all their idols. I will stretch out my hand on them and make the land desolate and waste, from the wilderness toward Diblah, throughout all their habitations. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. Moreover, Yahweh's word came to me, saying, You, son of man, the Lord Yahweh says to the land of Israel, An end. The end has come on the four corners of the land. Now is the end on you, and I will send my anger on you, and will judge you according to your ways. I will bring on you all your abominations. My eye will not spare you, neither will I have pity, but I will bring your ways on you, and your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh says, An evil, a unique evil, behold it comes, an end has come, the end has come, it awakes against you, behold it comes, your doom has come to you, inhabitant of the land, the time has come, the day is near, a day of tumult, and not of joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will shortly pour out my wrath on you, and accomplish my anger against you, and will judge you according to your ways. I will bring on you all your abominations. My eye won't spare, neither will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways. Your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I, Yahweh, strike. Behold the day, behold, it comes. Your doom has gone out. The rod has blossomed. Pride has budded. Violence has risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them will remain, nor of their multitude, nor of their wealth. There will be nothing of value among them. The time has come. The day draws near. Don't let the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is on all its multitude. 
For the seller won't return to that which is sold, although they are still alive. For the vision concerns the whole multitude of it. None will return. None will strengthen himself in the iniquity of his life. They have blown the trumpet and have made all ready, but no one goes to the battle, for my wrath is on all its multitude. The sword is outside and the pestilence and the famine within. He who is in the field will die by the sword. He who is in the city will be devoured by famine and pestilence. But those of those who escape, they will escape and will be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them moaning, everyone in his iniquity. All hands will be feeble and all knees will be weak as water. They will also clothe themselves with sackcloth and horror will cover them. Shame will be on all faces and baldness on all their heads. They will cast their silver in the streets and their gold will be as an unclean thing. Their silver and their gold won't be able to deliver them in the day of Yahweh's wrath. They won't satisfy their souls or fill their bellies because it has been the stumbling block of their iniquity. As for the beauty of his ornament, he set it in majesty, but they made the images of their abominations and their detestable things therein. Therefore, I have made it to them as an unclean thing. I will give it into the hands of the strangers for a prey, and to the wicked of the earth for a plunder, and they will profane it. I will also turn my face from them, and they will profane my secret place. Robbers will enter into it and profane it. Make chains, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. Therefore I will bring the worst of the nations, and they will possess their houses. I will also make the pride of the strong to cease. Their holy places will be profaned. Destruction comes. They will seek peace, and there will be none. Mischief will come on mischief, and rumor will be on rumor. They will seek a vision of the prophet, but the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king will mourn, and the prince will be clothed with desolation. The hands of the people of the land will be troubled. I will do to them after their way, and according to their own judgments I will judge them. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. That is the end of the reading of chapters 4 through 7. To put all of these warnings, these impending judgments into perspective, it's good to look at the timeline. And particularly, I was referencing Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones's timeline because it's easy to look at. And if you consider that Deuteronomy was written near the end of Moses's life, and he died in 1452 BC, and Zedekiah was taken captive in 586 BC, then God has been warning the people of Israel, the children of Israel, about the consequences of of these choices for over 850 years. To put that into perspective, my country, the United States of America, has barely been a country for, well, not quite 250 years, 248, if I do the math from 1776 to 2024. that time period of 1776 seems like ancient history to me. But the nation of Israel had a much longer history. So going back to the timeline, you can see Moses's warnings in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. 
But they didn't just have that warning. They had a slew of prophets. We have those who wrote books of the Bible from the longer books like Isaiah and Jeremiah to other prophets who are just mentioned as part of the narrative, like Elijah and Elisha. They don't have their own book, but they were obviously prophets. So God had an ongoing attempt at communicating with Israel, but they weren't listening and things were getting worse and worse. In particular, recall that Jeremiah had been prophesying for almost 40 years in Jerusalem before Ezekiel begins to prophesy among the captives. Now, getting into some of the specifics of what Ezekiel has written down here, the first prophetic illustration emphasizes that the captives will not be going back to Jerusalem. There is that wall of iron and Israel, I mean, Israel and Jerusalem will be destroyed. Verses 4 through 6 talk about these 390 years, days, and 40 years, days. And these pretty obviously don't refer to the siege time, but something else because the siege didn't go on for 390 years or 40 years. The phrasing is comparable to Numbers 1434, as Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown point out, where God says they will wander in the desert for 40 years to represent their 40 days of not having belief. There seems to be a distinction distinction in talking about these numbers between the house of Israel, verse 4, with the 390 days, and the house of Judah in verse 6. But then in verse 13, it does talk about the children of Israel altogether being driven among the Gentiles, which simply means all the other groups of people in the world that are not the Jewish people, not the children of Israel. As far as Ezekiel laying on his side, this has to be done in the daylight for others to see it, for it to have any meaning. I read a lot of discussion and supposition about the 390 years. The bottom line here is that the text does not give any reference other than it represented their iniquity. However, if you look at the chronology and you start from the year that Rehoboam ascended to the throne, which coincides with Jeroboam's beginning to reign in the northern kingdom, it is 390 years from then until the final destruction of Jerusalem. Considering that Israel had all wicked kings and no signs of lasting repentance, this looks like the 390 years of iniquity. The 40 years is a curious number in the Bible. You will recognize there's the 40 days of the flood. There's the 40 days that the spies spied out the land that led to the 40 years in the wilderness. There's the 40 years that Moses was in the wilderness. Um, each of the first three kings in Israel reigned for 40 years. Elijah fasted for 40 days in 1 Kings 19.8. Jonah warned Nineveh for 40 days. In Deuteronomy 25, they were not allowed to punish anyone with more than 40 stripes. In 1 Samuel 17, 16, Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days. And in Judges 13, 1, it mentions Israel, the people of Israel, being in judgment for 40 years. Now, those are all 40s that are prior to this message in Ezekiel. There are others that we know about, like Jesus being tempted after the 40 days of fasting, and also the 40 days that he was seen after the resurrection. So at the very least, since many of these examples were pre-Ezekiel, the people of Israel would recognize 40 
as a time of discipline improving. And considering we know that at this point in time, the northern kingdom had already been taken away among the Gentiles for about 130 years, we know they've been dealing with consequences longer, which implies the severity of their wickedness and rebellion. As for the actual amounts of food and drink that Ezekiel was allotted, it turns out that in today's terms, 20 shekels of food is about 7 ounces. That's not much. And the measuring indicating the need with such small portions to be careful to set them aside. Now, the measurement of a hin seems to be less reliably understood. I found references to anything from 3 to 5 cups. Either way, it's not a lot. In verses 13 through 16, it's good to point out that it's not that the other nations are born more defiled than Israel, but they, the Gentiles on the whole, live defiled lives, and the people of Israel were living the same way while misapplying, to say the least, the idea that they were God's chosen nation. So God is showing them that if they chose to live like these others who defile themselves, they can just go live among them and be humbled. Regarding Ezekiel's response to human dung, he doesn't say anything defiantly. His statement is more a description of sorrow, and God modifies what he says Ezekiel can do because in all of the instructions, he has made it clear that it's so bad that could, this represents human dung. He gives it to represent cow dung to represent human dung, and so indeed the picture is gruesome. In chapter 5, he goes on to talk about cutting his head hair and his beard, and it is helpful to notice a few things. The sword is represented as unusual. It is not the normal barber's razor, and it is being used consistently with the whole picture of being overcome with violence. Also, the cutting of the hair and beard was specifically addressed for priests in Leviticus 21.5. They were not supposed to make bald places or shave the edges of their beards. And it will actually speak of this again in Ezekiel 44.20. Yet here in chapter 5, verse 1, Ezekiel is being asked to do that very thing, and him a priest. This seems to signify that the people have already defiled themselves, as spoken of in verses 6 through 7, even more than the other nations. And interestingly, there is no mention of Ezekiel questioning this. There is the cutting of hair as involved in the Nazarite vows, so maybe he sees it as associated with that. But then what Ezekiel does with the hair in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 5 is obviously prophetic, as the Lord God goes on to explain. So in verse 2, the days of the siege seems to be referring back to chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, where Ezekiel signifies the siege by laying on his side. Also, see in 2 Kings 25 that it is in Zedekiah's ninth year, tenth month, tenth day that the siege begins, and it ends in his eleventh year, fourth month, ninth day, and that the city is burned. So it's not quite two years according to that. As for where Ezekiel was placing his hair, it was probably in the portrayal of the city mentioned in chapter 4, verse 1. So here in chapter 5, verse 5, God speaks of the centrality 
of Jerusalem placed in the midst of the nations. And this makes sense looking at where it is on the European, Asian, African complex of continents. Then in verses 6 through 7, he emphasizes that Israel hasn't just been wicked and rebellious, but worse than the so-called heathen. Now, always keep in mind the atrocities that this wickedness resulted in. Read through all the other prophetic books predicting this and realize the murder and oppression going on. God is sometimes portrayed by non-Christians and those who haven't read their Bible as someone pouting because they wouldn't worship him. No, he represents all that is good and right. If you reject him, you slide or dive into the corruption of all that is corrupt. So he will finally execute judgment. He is not vindictive. He is just. Who among us would not be glad if a murderer is corrected and punished, or someone who lays traps for others, either physically or financially, is caught and imprisoned? That is just basic human justice in most people's minds. God's justice is even more encompassing and compassionate and pure. And when people reject him, they are rejecting the source of all that is good, and there does come a time for justice. In several places, he emphasizes who he is and that he is doing it. Like in verse 8, he says, I, even I am against you. And verse 13, 15, 17, I, the Lord, have spoken. And I think this is particularly important because they needed to understand that this God that they were claiming they had a special relationship is saying, you haven't been doing things right and I am chastising you. Verse 9 makes the interesting statement saying, the like of which I will never do again. This seems to be referring to them being scattered in verse 10, and most of them will stay scattered, although some will return and rebuild things until they are all scattered again more dramatically in 70 AD. Some verses that you can refer to to look into this more are Zechariah 2.6, Isaiah 28:64, Amos 9:9, 9, 9, Amos 9:14, Isaiah 60:46, I can't read my scribble there. Jeremiah 33 and 29:14, and then also Psalm 53:6, Ezekiel 39:25 and Zephaniah 3:20. Verse 11 has the phrase my eye will not spare which goes with the idea of not looking on with pity. Unfortunately, they have chosen their destructive ways and ignored all words and actions that were used to motivate them to repentance. So you look at verses 12 through 15, and you see that even though they are chosen for his purposes, that he will accomplish justice and his purposes in spite of their rebellion. They will be a lesson to the other nations. And even those who survive to be scattered will be further rebuked with the sword, the sword, <laughs> verse 12, and famine, verse 16, and wild beasts, verse 17, and pestilence, verse 17. As we move on to chapter 6, we have an example of God using a non-living thing, an inanimate part of the earth, in this case geography, to signify the people of Israel. Verse 3 gives at least one reason this is done, which is to address the idolatry going on there in the high places. It makes me think of the Tower of Babel, people trying to reach heaven or be God something by their own strength and pride. 
But in verse 3, he also includes pretty much all of the geography associated with the mountains as well. An important cross-reference in all of this is Leviticus 26.30, which warns of this very thing. But you should go back actually to Leviticus 26.14, where it begins saying, but if you do not obey, Leviticus chapter 26 starts with the promise of blessing, verses 3 through 13, but verses 14, 18, 21, 23, and 27 talk about how God will chasten them to get them back to truth and goodness in levels, so to speak. He gives them choice to respond multiple times, and every time the consequences get a little worse. And then in Leviticus 26, 40 through 42, he says, if they confess, if they humble their hearts and accept their guilt, he will remember his covenant with them. And verse 43 prophesies that they will, in the end, accept their guilt. Let's just take a moment to talk about the word chasten. That's kind of an archaic word to most people. Refer to Hebrews 12, 6 and Revelations 3, 19, first of all, where it says that God chastens those that he loves. Now, the word chasten is kind of like discipline, that it's taken on a negative connotation for a lot of people, but it really encompasses all of training, educating, instructing, correcting, reproving consequences and punishment, everything that ends up being needed to get somebody to make good choices, especially if they're rebelling. All of these promises and warnings to Israel are clearly tied to the actual physical land. See again Leviticus 26.42 for an example. And throughout Israel's history, there's the same tie to the land. So there's every reason to believe that such is the same for the promises that are still to be fulfilled in the future. Going back to Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 5, here we, he is emphasizing that these idols cannot really do anything for them except appeal to their base nature. And then in verse 9, God speaks of his sorrow and emotion at their rejection as a man would mourn for a wife he loved who abandoned him, not just for another man to get married, but as a harlot, as a prostitute for meaningless, um, empty, cycling through relationships. But after they are scattered, they will loathe themselves for such behavior. Verses 10, 13, and 14, again, stating the desired outcome, that they will know that he is God. And by knowing that he is God, that refers back to his attributes and the things that he has told him about himself. He loves them. He wants them to repent. But while they persist in such abominations, he will bring calamity, aka evil in some translations. As we have said, sometimes evil means things that we don't like. And so all of this will be used as chastening, as discipline. And this includes wrath, as mentioned in verse 12, for all the wickedness, all the murder, the theft, the lying. And in verse 11, Ezekiel is told to clap, to stomp, to emphasize what he is saying. A little note on verse 14, it mentions Dibla, which is thought to be a shortened version of the name Alman Diblathiam, which is mentioned in Numbers 3346 as one of the places southeast of the Dead Sea, either towards or in Moab, where the people of Israel camped while they were in the wilderness, so out there on the edges of 
civilization, and Jeremiah 48.22, where it is spoken of as Beth Diblathion, Beth meaning the house of, and it is included when talking about the judgment against Moab. Then chapter 7 begins with, the word of the Lord came to me, declaring very emphatically, it is time for judgment according to their ways. Again, according to what they have been doing, according to how they have been treating other people. He has been patient. He has warned. He has blessed. But he's not going to bless anymore because that blessing, they've used it for sinful things, and now the end has come. Verse 9 again says, according to your ways. Verses 10 through 11 speak of the progression from pride to violence. Verse 13 speaks of the extent of the doom. And verse 19 says their wealth would become worthless like trash. Verse 20 is where it mentions they used their wealth for abominations, so he will spoil it. And in verse 22, they have defiled his land and his secret place, so he will let the enemy in to defile it as well, in essence, to show the truth of how they've been treating it. The Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says the description in verse 20, talking about the beauty of his ornaments set in majesty, refer to the temple. Again, in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 7, we have a recounting of the degree of the crimes, bloodshed and violence. So he will let it all fall into the possession of the worst of the Gentiles. But recall chapter 5, verse 6, where it says Israel was even worse than them. Verse 25, they seek peace but cannot obtain it because they live in contrary ways to peace and the only real peace giver they are rejecting. In verse 26, it says they will seek prophecies, but as it mentions in Jeremiah 14, verses 14 through 16, and Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31, they don't really want prophecies of truth. Verse 27, it mentions the king. So signifying what was mentioned earlier, that everyone is included this, even those with the most power and wealth will be included in this destruction, and then they will know that he is the Lord. In Romans 3.26, it mentions God setting things up so that as a just God, he can also be the justifier. But if you refuse what he has provided for being the justifier, then you must deal with the justice that he provides. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 